turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to continue a series called Announcements. Now, don't forget, our Christmas Eve services are coming up next weekend. Here's what it looks like. It is 10 o'clock next Sunday. If you come at 11, you will see us going out the other direction, okay? So make sure you come 10 o'clock. It's just one service 10 o'clock from 10 to 11, it's a one-hour Christmas candlelight service. And, or if you prefer, that we're going to have the same service on Monday night, Christmas Eve, of course, at 6 p.m., from 6 to 7 p.m. So choose one of those two services to go to. Bring a friend, invite a co-worker, a neighbor, bring some family with you. It's going to be a great, great time as we celebrate Christmas next weekend. Luke chapter 2. I started talking last week about something we're calling the announcement. What I believe is the greatest announcement that has ever been made. I mean, there's announcements, right? And then there's the announcement. This is what I call the announcement. It's when the angels show up to some shepherds that are just in their field, minding their own business. And it happens in Luke chapter two, one angel just shows up out of the blue and we'll start reading in verse number eight. If you have your Bibles, if, if you're new to grace, we put these scriptures up on the screen for you, but it starts this, it says, now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly Afraid. Here comes the announcement. It says this, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign, verse 12 says to you, You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. This is the announcement. And we looked last week where the angel started off. He said, don't be afraid for I bring you good news, good tidings. And with that good news comes this great joy. It's good news that's going to bring you also this great joy. And we talked about that last week. But this week I want to focus on the next part of the announcement. The next part of the announcement says this, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Just that one sentence alone, think about all the titles that is given to Jesus Christ just in that one sentence. The angel said this, for there is born to you this day in the city of David. That's one title, son of David. A savior, that's the next title, who is Christ That means the anointed one. That's the title. And then the last one is the Lord. I want to focus on one of those today, and it is the word Savior. Savior, Savior. If you go into the Greek, which the New Testament was written in, and you study the word Savior, Savior, salvation, it is an interesting word because it is not just one-dimensional. In fact, that word itself is so multifaceted It actually encompasses everything that we would ever need. It is the Greek word, sozo. It is S-O-Z-O. And what it really means, it kind of boils down to three different things. The first part, it says, okay, we're going to be saved from danger. I mean, that's a good thing. We're saved from danger. 
but then also means salvation for our bodies. In other words, we're saved from sickness. We're saved from disease. We're saved from infirmities. And then there's the last part of it that that word actually encompasses. It means that we're saved from the penalties of eternal judgment. And so this word encompasses everything that we need. Now, can you imagine the angel says this word? He just shows up to some shepherds. And he says, there's born to you right now. He's born a savior. For whatever you need, there is a savior. Not just for one transaction, but for every transaction that will ever take place in your life. For everything, for every struggle, for every difficulty, there is an answer. And the answer is you have a savior. Hallelujah. You have a savior. And I think this is so important for us to understand what it means to have a savior. And I kind of talked last week about good news. And I want to go back to it just a little bit because I think for us to really understand the word savior, you have to understand what we're saved from what we're saved from and kind of like go back last week. We talked about good news and bad news, right? So the good news is always in proportion to the bad news. Does that make sense? In other words, you could say this, that the height of the good news really is in proportion to the depth of the bad news. So if the bad news is really bad, then the good news has to be really good. So I used this example last week. I said, I said, imagine that you get a letter in the mail from the IRS. Those are the ones you open immediately. You know what I'm saying? You don't put those, you don't put those on a shelf somewhere. You go, what in the world? IRS is writing me. So the, the IRS writes you and they tell you that you are behind on your taxes. There's been mistakes over the last 10 years. You haven't filed correctly. Now you owe $100,000 to the IRS and there are penalties accruing. There is interest and penalties that are accruing on a daily basis. And you get that letter and you sit down and you go, that is bad news. I mean, you know, that's really bad. That's, that's, that's down there. That's some deep bad news. So you need some really high good news to compensate for the bad news. You don't need somebody to go, here's $10. No, I can't help. That's not going to help me none. I need some high. I need, some, I, need, I need the height. I need some really good news. So if somebody was to say to you, well, here's the good news, is now you have deposited in your account by a benevolent person a million dollars, and not only have they have deposited a million dollars in your account, they've also ca- called the IRS and they've completely wiped out any trace of the debt. They've paid all the debt, all the interest, all the penalties. You owe the IRS nothing. See, you need some really high good news to compensate for the really low bad news, right? Well, for us to really understand the word Savior, and salvation, you have to understand the opposite. You have to understand that the opposite of being saved is being lost. And you weren't just a little bit lost. 
right? Because you haven't been just a little bit saved, right? So if you understand that you have been greatly saved, then you have to also understand that you are greatly lost without God. Can I get an amen from somebody? Does that make sense to everybody, right? So listen, so it's kind of like this. I want to talk to you about two things today. Number one is I want to talk to you about pit praise, and I want to talk to you about headfirst worship, headfirst worship. You know, Paul said this in Romans chapter 7. He said, oh, miserable man that I am. He was talking about, why do I do things I don't want to do? Why, why is it that, that sometimes I want to do good, but I can't do good? The King James, the New King James says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who is going to free me or who is going to save me from from the feelings, the things that I do, the way that I act. Who's going to save me from that? But then he says this, watch this. He says, thank God the answer is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I said, he's the answer to, to what I'm dealing with. He's the answer for me, my emotions, my struggles. Jesus is the answer to every problem that I have. So we have to understand he is worth a couple things today. He's worth number one. He's worth pit praise. Now, pit praise is this. If I was to ask you what the most famous psalm is, everybody, I'm sure, everybody, I'm sure, would say Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I memorized, that was the first psalm I memorized as a kid. Some of you might know Psalms 91, right? That's a very famous one as well. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. But my favorite psalm is not Psalms 23 or Psalms 91. My favorite psalm actually is Psalm chapter 40. Psalm 40 is my favorite. It says this, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined and heard my cry. But watch this. And he lifted me up out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay. Come on now. And he set my feet on a rock. He established me. And watch this. He put a new song of praise in my mouth. Hallelujah. This is all that God did. In other words, pit praise is this. Pit praise is when you come into a place like you did this morning into this building or you go to your back porch or you go into your kitchen or you go into your bedroom or your bathroom or your cubicle, wherever it is that you just need a little bit of praise time, wherever that is, it's when you go in and you say, God, I'm here today because you lifted me up out of a horrible pit. You lifted me up out of the miry clay. Listen, I was in the pit, but you, when I cried to you, you lifted me out. Hallelujah. When I think about the Lord, I think about what he's done for me. When I think about where I used to be, how I used to act, how I used to behave, how messed up and jacked up my life was, God lifted me out of that life and he put my feet on solid ground. Hallelujah. Amen. That's called pit praise. Pit praise. Hallelujah. You say, well, I get that. Now what's head first worship? Well, I got a story. Uh, Here's my story. There's a man that had a friend that got caught in quicksand. The man was in, in, in desperate need of help, so his friend went running for help. 
And he found some people. He said, I need you to come quickly. I've got a friend. He's, he's caught in quicksand. So they asked. Well, they said, how bad is he? And so the friend replied. Well, he said, well, he's, he's up to his ankles. So they replied back. Well, you mean he's up to his ankles? So if he's up to his ankles, why don't he save himself? And the friend replied, well, he's in head first. Right? Okay. So, so I want you to remember this because I'm talking about head first worship. Head first worship is when you come in to the same place, be it this house, this church, your house, your back porch, and you realize that you were in sin, you were in a mess, you were in turmoil. Head first. In other words, you've never been able to save yourself. You realize that if God had not rescued you, you'd still be in head first. But God saw fit, even though you could do nothing about it except cry out. God lifted you out of that quicksand and he did the same thing. He rescued you when you couldn't rescue yourself. Hallelujah. That's called head first worship. And for years, I didn't get it. For years, I just didn't get it. I just thought, well, I'll worship when I feel like worshiping. That's what I did. When I get the goosebumps, when I get the feels, when I get, when I get you know, my song, when it's my groove, come on now. When I just feel like worshiping, then I'm going to worship. And I was lost when it came to understanding what worship truly is. And I want to just ask you today, what did he bring you out of? I was saved at eight years old. I was a good kid. If you don't believe me, my mom's on the front row. You just ask her after service, she'll tell you. I was a good kid. I wasn't a drug addict. I wasn't a drug addict at eight, praise the Lord. I wasn't an alcoholic, huh? I hadn't said a curse word in my life, praise God, eight years old, I don't think. And so I, I, was, I was good. But something in me still recognized that I was lost, huh? Now, he didn't bring me from the depths of sin. My life wasn't broken but I still recognize that I needed a savior. Huh? And I've had these moments in my life when I still recognize I need a savior. I need saving. Listen, I need saving. Today, guess what? I still need saving. I still need it. I still recognize that there's a God who lifted me out of a pit. I still recognize that I was head first and God brought me out of it. Right? And I had struggles in my teen years. We had a a pretty large youth group, and my youth group was just about a mile from when I went to high school, right? So I'd be like ninth or 10th grade, and I'd go in my youth group. We had a couple hundred people in our youth group. Anybody could have walked in, and I wouldn't have known it. Any of my friends that I hung out with Monday through Friday, they could have walked in to my youth group on Wednesday night, and I wouldn't have known it. So, man, I would be sitting there. I would want to worship. I really wanted to, and I'm just kind of like, you know, I want to worship. And so this is what I would do. I would literally do this. 
I just give a little glance over to my left. Don't see any friends over there. I didn't have that many anyway. So I look over here. I don't see any friends over there either. And so the hands would go up halfway. Ooh, I was radical. You understand? So radical. I'd go up halfway. And I figured if I saw any of them on Thursday and they happened to show up, I could explain away halfway hands. You know what I'm saying? I could, I could explain this away. I could just say, well, I just got kind of emotional or, you know, I just, I was itching my head. I, mean, I can explain this away. You can't explain this away. This is Jesus free. You understand? Jesus free, crazy, Christian, radical. You can't explain. But I could, I could explain this part away. And so I would just do that, right? And then... It just began to dawn on me. I just got more and more knowledge, and I just began to become aware. And I got to a point in my life where I really didn't care what anybody thought. I got to a point where, you know what? Who cares? Who cares what my friends walking in think? Who cares what the person sitting over there think? Who cares what that person think? Who cares what anybody, anybody could walk into this place? Listen, I don't care what anybody, I only care what he thinks. I only care about one person watching me every Sunday morning, Monday through Friday, whenever I worship, I only care about one person that's watching me. His name is Jesus Christ. He is my savior. And listen, he's the one that lifted me out of the pit. He's the one that got me out of head first. And so he's the one that is worth, come on, my time, my attention, my worship, my hands. And so I never worship anymore with hands halfway. I never do. Now, there's nothing not spiritual about it. My pastor worships with his hands this way. Pastor Peters, that's what he, that's how he worships. He got a little sway going on and he just kind of got his hands halfway and that's how he worships. And so there's nothing wrong. But for me, it represented embarrassment. So I had to stop it, right? Because I came to a point where I recognized he saved me. Listen now, he saved me. And I believe this, we worship in proportion to the knowledge of our salvation. I really do. I, I, really, I believe we worship in proportion to the knowledge of our salvation. So if I see somebody struggling Hmm? If I see somebody struggling, if I see somebody that's just kind of, you know, we go through the, and, and maybe God's presence is here. Like even this morning, man, we're singing, be lifted high. I sing praises to your name. Your name is life. Your name is hope. When I see somebody struggling during that time, I think to myself, you know what? I just, I think that they're, they're somehow they, they just don't have a full understanding. Maybe something, maybe something just hasn't got got quite there yet to where they understand what he brought us out of. He saved us. They, maybe, maybe we just don't have a full understanding of how lost, listen now, how lost we really are without him. He rescued us. He rescued us, right? When the shepherds in Luke chapter 20, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 20, when they saw Jesus, you know what happened? They walked away glorifying and praising God. Jesus hadn't done anything for them. He was just a baby in a manger. 
But they said to themselves, salvation's here. We're rescued. We're saved. (laughs) Come on now. We are saved. He's here. Come on now. He is here. And listen, I know that you can come into this place on a Sunday morning and at your house, all hell is breaking loose. At your job, things are spiraling out of control. You are in debt. Maybe you're diagnosed with disease. I know that all those things could be going on around you. But in spite of all that, listen, you have a Savior. He has saved you. He has rescued you. He has lifted you up. And in spite of all that's going on around you, he is worth your hands going up. He is worth your voice being lifted up. He's worth your time, your attention. Stop thinking about where you're going out to eat, what's going to happen this week, what's going on at work, what's going to happen when I get home. I know this, my focus, my attention right here, right now is on him. Hallelujah. And he is worth my time. He's worth my attention. Somebody say hallelujah. Amen. He is worth it. He is worth it. Listen, think about that sentence again. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Whoo, hallelujah. Oh, that one just stands out. Jesus has a lot of titles now. Come on now. King of kings, Lord of lords, Rose of Sharon, Lily of the valley, Bride and morning star. Listen, we could go on and on and on, but there's something about that one word. There's something about that title that maybe is just above every other title. Listen, why? Because he is a first and foremost a savior. Hallelujah. He has saved us. Hallelujah. And sometimes I come into this place. I just can't help but think about it. I've never been on drugs. I've never been an alcoholic. I've never known the depths of some of those things. I mean, I've had my share of mistakes and I've had my share of failures and God has certainly, certainly been gracious towards me and merciful. But I know this, I still recognize when I come into this place, I was lost and I am lost without him. I'm lost without him. He is everything to me. How, how can I keep my hands down? How can I not worship him? He is worth my time. He is worth my energy. You know, sometimes we just struggle with perspective. And I think we struggle with understanding the depth of the bad news, the depth of our lostness. There was a guy who struggled with this same thing. The Bible says that Jesus had a friend named Lazarus. Most of you know the story of Lazarus. We won't get into all of it, but... Just to tell you quickly, Lazarus got sick and then he was dead. Now you talk about bad news. Dead is bad. Dead is dead. You are dead. That's some bad news, right? I got bad news for you. You're dead. You're dead. My older brother said that to me all the time. You're dead. You're dead. But Lazarus really was dead. He was dead. Dreams canceled. You'll never see your family again. You'll never see the sunrise again. You'll never see a sunset. You'll never taste anything delicious. You'll never have any kind of joy, peace. It's all gone. It was taken from you. You are dead. And Jesus showed up on the scene three days in the tomb. And he says, roll away the stone. And they rolled away the stone. And he says, Lazarus, what? Come forth. 
And Lazarus comes out mummified. He still has the grave clothes on. And then Jesus says what? Loose that man and let him go. Hallelujah. To see the sunrise again. Imagine that first family meal. Come on now. That's not crackers. I'm talking about give me something good. Family gathering. Oh, I bet you the birds just sang a little bit sweeter. And I'm telling you right now, the air was just a little more crisp. And there was something about all of his experiences from then on out that maybe meant a little bit more to him than it does to some. Everything, all of his dreams that were canceled, handed back to him. But in John chapter 12, watch this. John chapter 12, the Bible says that Lazarus was invited to a dinner. And specifically, the Holy Spirit inspires John to write several things. First of all, it reminds us that Lazarus was dead, and now he's come back to life. The second thing it says about Lazarus is this. It says, and Lazarus sat at the table. He sat there. But then this woman comes in. She comes in, just barges her way, kind of elbows through the crowd. And she's got this incredibly costly bottle of perfume. And she breaks it. She pours it on Jesus' feet. Huh? She takes her hair and she wipes his feet and she anoints him. This incredible, incredible act of worship. She knew the depth of her sin. She knew, because many believe that this woman was a prostitute. She was the one that Jesus said, go and sin no more. Many theologians believe perhaps that was her. She knew that she was there to worship a man who rescued her. She was lost. Now she's been found. She'd been saved. Meanwhile, the one who was dead was sitting there, just sitting there. And I wish I could have just been there for just a moment, just for a moment to say, Lazarus, you're going to let her out-worship you? Huh? Because if I was you, Lazarus, I'd be saying, sister, scoot on over. Just pour some of that, just pour some of it right here because I'm going to worship him with everything that I got just like you are. Oh, there ain't no way you're going to get out of here being the only one to worship him. You just pour some of it right here and just scoot over. Stop hogging him. Get over. Scoot over. I want to worship because I was just as dead as you. You were dead spiritually, but listen, I was dead both spiritually and physically. I've been rescued. I was lost. Now I'm found. Listen, how could Lazarus have just sat there? How can I ever walk into a service and just sit there? The only way is if I don't fully comprehend how lost I really am without him. Because when I fully comprehend how lost I am without him, Hmm? I got to lift my hands. I have to. I don't care what people think. 
I stopped caring a long time ago. Ask my wife, she knows. I stopped caring a long time ago what people think. I mean, I love my wife. I want her close to me, except when we worship. That's when I say, scoot over, Liz. Scoot over. Back up, you know? I mean, I want to worship him. I don't need to wait for the latest, greatest song. Huh? I don't need to wait for the, for the feels. I don't need to wait for, for me to just get the goosebumps. Oh, just let me in a room with some other believers who are willing to believe the same way, who think the same way, who are willing to act the same way, who we're all just here because we have been sinners saved by grace. Oh, we're all here because we were lost. Amen. Amen.